Welcome to Our Plant Stories. Sometimes podcasts begin with a sponsor read. All I want to say is, if you enjoy the next half hour, then perhaps you'll consider heading over to the website to buy me a coffee. And that would be grand. I promise I won't spend your donation on caffeine. It will help me make series two, which will begin in January. In episode 5, Andy Peasgood shared a story about an apple the size of a small training football. The apple tree grew in his grandparents' garden and it shared his surname. So we went on the trail of the Peasgood's non-such apple tree, going back over 150 years to a young girl who planted an apple pip. Her great-granddaughter, who lives in British Columbia and Canada, had all the papers from the RHS dated 1872 conferring a first-class certificate on the apple from the resulting tree, which, since the young girl had grown up and married a Mr Peasgood, was now named the Peasgood's non-such apple. But the story didn't quite stop there, and hence this offshoot episode. I became slightly obsessed by the history and spent a few hours one day in the RHS Lindley Library, which is where I stumbled across a Mr R. Gilbert of Burley House, who had shown the Peasgood's non-such apple at the National Apple Conference in 1883. I was now curious about Mr Gilbert, so contacted the current head gardener at Burley House, who turned out to have a lot of knowledge about his predecessor, and a project to commemorate his work in an enormous six-and-a-half-acre walled kitchen garden on the estate. So on a sunny October morning, I went to the walled garden and met Joe Whitehead, the head gardener. And along with Dennis Smith, who we'll hear more from in another episode, we wandered around this beautiful place. I think we're standing in what was probably, I think, Richard Gilbert's office. Oh, wow. Because he had an amazing view over here of the one major part of the kitchen garden. There's a fireplace in here. And I remember years ago, these glass um, cabinets having old prize certificates in. Because one of the things when you, which I think I've gone in the archives, so one of the things you really read about Richard Gilbert is he won countless prizes in the up with the RHS. Um, and I'll show you one of them. So everything you might imagine, peaches, you know, melons, grapes, pineapples. But he also won a lot about for mushrooms, which I can show you some evidence of that in a minute. Yeah. Because the old mushroom houses exist and they are vast. So, so I think this was probably his office next to the massive fruit galleries. And these are basically, in these other rooms either side, have got almost kind of shelving units mm. with almost big trays on them. And that where they would have stored the apples? Yeah, and there were shelves in the middle as well, which have gone in, I don't know when. Um, and so they're kind of vaulted ceilings with wood-lined panelling, which I think is all about keeping the moisture levels right. And what's interesting <coughs> is they've got... Shutters, so that they could manipulate the light and heat. And if they wanted to bring on an apple here, they wanted a bit more light coming in to ripen it, they could manipulate all the shutters here. So, 
So all this is, exists and has been untouched for, well, since this was, since probably the late 60s when the wall garden stopped being a wall garden in its original sense. Since we're here and we're kind of one floor up overlooking the walled garden, maybe it's a good place just to give you a little bit of a potted history of how Mr Gilbert and that wall garden go together. Because I came across him because mm. of the reference in the Lindley Library that in 1883 he is showing the Pease Goods non-such apple tree from Burley House at the National Apple Conference. Yes. So, so Richard Gilbert was born in... When did we say, Dennis? Yeah, 1821. He was at Burley House between 1867 and 1895. Um, so he was here for a long time. He's buried in where Dennis and I live. He's buried in Barnet Village Church. Um, in fact, I think you see a legacy of him because throughout Barnack is a lot of there are some lots of old fruit trees, aren't there? And old apple trees, and we think it's a lot to do with him planting them. So when you go through Barnack and you see a tree that's 150 years old, I think probably it's him. And there's there's all sorts of trees dotted around Barnack, isn't there? Um, and he, when you read about him, one of the things you, one of the two things you get is one that he was a kind of a gardener of a generation, and the way he's written about and the way people describe him and his links with the RHS and his prolific winner of prizes. He was, he was you know, clearly an exceptional man in horticulture. And like a, one of my favorite quotes about Richard Gilbert is that he said he could produce a pineapple for the table every day of the year, which is a feat. <laughs> and, but then you read about his, um, just little links to his stuff. So he had 120 gardeners across the kitchen garden site and the 46 acres of pleasure grounds at the house. And they used to buy him, um, when he won specific, you know, when, he did, you know, when they won specific tr- prizes, they would buy him gifts and they bought him chairs, didn't they? And there's a reference to bowler hats that he was given yeah. um, to, you know, to sort of, you know, as a celebration of some of his um, achievements. And he also started uh, like uh, an apprenticeship scheme to bring it would have been, I guess, for young men at that point, f- out from inner cities into horticulture. So I think probably on many levels he was quite an inspiring man of his time. Um, there's a couple of lovely photos you can find of him. Um, there's a lovely one of him looking at uh, uh, cordon-grown tomatoes. And he's kind of, he's an older man. Have you seen that one? An older man at that point. He's got kind of a you know, big-brimmed hat and he's kind of on a walking stick and he's looking at these incredibly grown tomatoes. So he was, you know, he was, he was your quintessentially, you know, an incredible Victorian gardener with an immense background and pedigree to get to where he was. Were these huge kind of apple storage areas, though, was that quite a key thing for him, do you think? Because apple tree is one of his passions. Yeah, and just, you know, he would have, he would have been able to harvest apples and still put the last year's crop on the table in March and April. They were so clever. This also, this, this would have been full of fruit in general. It would have been full of grapes stored you know victorians could store grapes and so i've done this put grapes on the table at christmas it's, a, it's very it's quite straightforward to be able to do that you can keep white grapes well into january so this you imagine this this would have been full of fruit pears uh, yeah, uh squashes overwintering things like you know vegetables that could be overwintered uh, there would have been swan necked uh, glass bottles full of grapes that had been cut and, and harvested because they were ex- the glass house at Burley, at Burley there were 26 glass houses at its, at its height and huge, huge boiler systems to, to provide heat 
pit greenhouses. Pit greenhouses are where you walk down steps into a greenhouse sunk into the ground and the ground itself, the residual heat from the ground provides a degree of the warmth. With independent boilers, I mean this was, you know, at its height this would have been not the biggest, there are, there are bigger wall gardens, but this is a big wall garden, incredibly, you know, developed. So. And very high tech, in a sense, yeah. of, that, of its time. Yeah, very, absolutely, would have no doubt been using all those kind of latest uh, innovations. Gilbert patented things didn't he patented a cloche system that you can find online that's his patent he bred a lot of different vegetables that you can just you know you can link directly back to his breeding um he was you know he was very much linked to apple hugely linked to apple cultivation uh him and his sons wasn't it who uh son yeah son-in-law uh william divers yeah. uh produced bred an awful lot of fruit trees sadly his kind of like growing grounds, his seedling grounds have gone. I think were probably removed or failed. The orchards failed in the 70s. But there are elements dotted around. There's a 35 odd very old pears on the walls, which we've had uh, ident uh, sent away and for DNA identification, which has given us some names and led us to different, you know, the next stage when they, when they come back unknown. That's another link to the story if you want to continue trying to identify them. Yeah. The smell in here would have been amazing, wouldn't it? There's nothing like a fruit store that is as when the harvest is in. In a north-facing wall, it's, there's nothing like it. Shall we go and look at the actual garden? Yes. What I'm saying about mushrooms... I'm sure it goes that way. Well, the hinges come this way, look. Um, I'm determined to get this open. <laughs> sure. Oh, cheers, thank you. Oh, oh mind yourself. This is, this is getting into the mushroom room. Well done. You won. Yeah. So that is the mushroom houses. Oh, yeah, my goodness great. me. So if you walk down here... So we get down some steps and then there's like a... You'll put your hand there to steady yourself. Yeah. And then just think that Richard Gilbert touched that. Every, <laughs> every single person, when they come down the steps, puts their hands on the side to touch steady themselves. So, 300 years of garden, their gardens yeah, have touched that. Well. It's yeah. been dished a bit. Like. So, these are mushroom. So, houses. you've got mushroom. So, a mushroom house is what? You've got this kind of. How would you describe it almost? Like a. So, this is unique. Well, not, well it's not unique, but this is um, kind of a vaulted, raised uh, brick platform. It goes probably 30 metres, maybe. And on the top of the platform is where mushrooms are growing. These entrances that would have led onto the glass houses beyond have, have been bricked in. But originally, I think they would have had removable wooden panels <laughs> shuttered yeah. so that you could change the mushroom growing substrate really easily. But the, underneath here is interesting because this is, this is where they forced... Uh, they had, they would have had heating pipes in here, and they forced vegetables under here. So every wall garden would have had the ability to force things like asparagus and rhubarb and chicory and things in the dark out of season. But this, there's, you can find this exact setup in the Thompson Garden Assistant of like 1857 or whichever. I think it's, that's the one I've got. And you can, so they would have forced vegetables under here. But I've never seen a mushroom house this big which explains why he won a lot of prizes for mushrooms along with all the other usual suspects. <laughs> because he was probably pretty unique in having this kind of 
yeah. facility in a way. So one of our little ambitions is to, to grow some mushrooms in here because we don't, it's all here. We just need to spend a couple of days cleaning it out. Uh, I keep, I laugh. I'd say to, um, when I take tours around here and I'm, because we have a big volunteer team and we're always looking for new volunteers, I'm asking for a head of fungi. <laughs> Volunteer position, all you can eat mushrooms, depending on how successful you are. Oh, that, 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 I'm sure you'd have a lot of applications for yeah. that, you know, I really do. <laughs> so, but it's just one of the, one of the buildings that is, you know. It's amazing these are all intact, isn't it? Apart from the glass houses, which sadly have all come down because of the state they were got into, everything else is still here. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, and just waiting to be kind of, um, it becomes a home for... You know, red, red admiral butterflies and yeah. it's full of swallows in the in the summer i can see there's the, yeah, yeah. the nest up there as well just being brought back to life really with with plants again yeah and and so and fungi yeah <laughs> one day we will start we will grow mushrooms in here because it's just here waiting to be we just need to work out how to do it i'm sure you're going to work that out <laughs> <laughs> that's great oh, this is amazing it's just like a whole history lesson isn't it never seen a mushroom house no, I mean, often, Who has, they, really? often they would sometimes set on those, like, ice houses and, or you know, the one at Holcombs on the, kind of the bank at the back of the wall garden. Oh, is there one at Holcomb in Norfolk? Yeah, but it's a lot smaller. It's more, it looks like a little bunker, really. I've never seen anything like this before. Um, yeah, it's incredible. Scale. So in here, back to where all the grass is, used to be a glass, it's the footprint of a glass house. Um, I think it was probably figs along here because of the very old figs that are here. I think this is probably possibly a vinery in well, its this time. Is a giveaway, isn't it? That back wall would have been whitewashed, wouldn't it? Yeah. So this fig tree would originally have been in a glass house, do you think? Yeah, I think this was a fig house because those fig trees are pretty old, mm. um, and I'm I'm sure there was um, I'm sure some I've found a record that on the opposite side was a was one of probably many grapevines vineries. And then these were freestanding glass houses. And then the walls that we see behind were the back walls for lean-to glass houses. And this one on the left is interesting because this is a hot wall system. So boilers uh, on the back of the walls, you can see where there were back sheds. A boiler basically pumped smoke into flues in the wall that heated the wall and then that heated the glass house beyond. So that is the earliest glass house heating setup before they invented huge, you know, hot water boilers and then, you know, four inch cast iron pipes pump the, the hot water around the whole site. So that makes it, that wall will be one of the earliest walls because it predates that type of thing. So what kind of era are we talking? So the earliest maps that we've found so far go back to about 1701. I think the gardens were probably here before that. Um, I'm not sure whether these, the wall garden site originally that, 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 that supplied the house, the Burley house, which was built in the mid-1500s. So I'm yet to find out whether there was a wall garden on this site back to that point or whether there was one, an earlier one somewhere else. Um, but certainly this has been here for, for that period of time, which makes it a very old wall garden, hence the very old heating system. And I, and I don't think the footprint's dramatically changed either. You know, Burley house with its 89 rooms, I think was built that big from the off so I, I don't think this is lots of wall gardens often kind of expanded grew and contracted depending on the on the success of the household you know I imagine a household at Burley in its height of its times probably had a hundred staff and and uh, and you know and occupants so 
and that this would have fed them as well as everywhere in you know, everything else. So there was a lot of food to be produced, basically, from amount, amongst yeah. all the staff and and the yeah. families and yeah. yeah. And when you go around Burley House itself, all the all the subsidiary buildings that are some away from the main house, there's a butchery, brew house, bakery, pewter room. Everything was self-contained in those. They days, were complete communities, mm. basically. Yeah. What's wonderful about it almost is the state it's in at the moment is rather magical to see it yeah. before it's bought. Yeah. back to life with its mushrooms yeah. and its plants it's yeah. it's a very kind of special moment in a way isn't it it has a massive presence mm. here in its state yeah. and, you know where it's just quietly existing um, and when we we this area we stood, stand, stood in we've done a small amount of landscape work to put paths and beds in <clears throat> with a view to t- creating a Victorian kitchen garden experience in this one section which is about 1.2 acres of the six and a half acres that is in within the external walls and when we started to marry up the paths here to the, and marry the paths that take go down towards the south and we had a laser level going, this whole garden is sloped down to quite an extent. So if you could, with an X-ray vision, strip the soil off, you would find herringbone drainage systems that led down to the walls down here. The whole thing was created so that the frost ran out, the water drained to here and drained into dipping pools. There were at least two dipping pools here, which was just a big pond where water was drained into, because yeah, they didn't have mains water then, did they? There's four so wells clever. throughout here as well that are all interconnected that link certainly to a very old spring and pond system, which is about, I don't know, three or 400 metres away. And there's an old diesel engine in a shed there, which must have been the latest way in which that water got to these wells. And then the wells are interconnected. The water table's quite high. Whenever you look into the few wells that we can look into, it's always got water in. So, and that's why I think this, this is so far from the house, that it's a mile from the house. I think it's all about water. I think, one, one they, the people living in the house at the time, the market at the time, wouldn't have, allowed, wouldn't have liked a wall garden looking over to the house because that was never the done thing was it and I think it's about water because the strongest springs were up here and I think that's what, that's what, why this was sited so far from the house which is a long way it's a 1.2 miles from the house certainly the drive here I thought this is, yeah. this is not something you'd overlook from no. the house is it? so that's my personal theory about why yeah, it was yeah it's so here. far yeah. so the the wall garden was here before Mr Gilbert but yep. he then really should we walk into it you can yeah. show me he then really takes it on basically doesn't yeah. he let's go this way yeah okay yeah <clears throat> so he was here for well, must have been 25 30 years yeah and and was you know a, a place like this would have attracted a top-notch head gardener of which he was and and so he you know clearly was incredibly successful um in his time here um and this was his last position so when the initial works to, to stop this garden going you know, past the point of no return happened in 2013, it was cleared and the spaces were cleared and all that really has really happened to the date is that um, uh, there's been some events here, glamping for the horse trials, a few weddings. And so this apple tunnel was put in because the idea was it would lead guests to the main big space and then this is a service track for catering. So this has been added and these fruit trees um, in various states of care but, um, and, but all the varieties in here so when you get a lot of grants there's lots of stipulations and one that some fruit need to go back in so the fruit initially was chosen with very commercial based fruit perhaps with a view to you know have some sort of apple growing business or something so that's what's on this apple tunnel what we're interested in is trying to 
research and find some of the original fruit that's been was being grown over it the last 300 years and put that back in so will there be a place for the piece goods absolutely yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely and i know it's not an apple but just over there was a we found a label so you know they used to label everything didn't they on the walls and they used to put long strips of lead with embossed names in that's how they labeled these and we found loads of those we put a metal detector around the walls to try and find them because when the walls was, were repointed during the restoration i think a lot of this was flicked out and we found a labeler there for a peach tree called Sea Eagle, which was a, which, which a peregrine was part of that series, wasn't it? It was a series of peaches growing with bird-based names. And Sea Eagle was found over there. We found the label, the, the metal, the lead label. This is genuinely a true story. When we found the Sea Eagle st- label, a Sea Eagle, a real Sea Eagle, vis- stopped in at Burley. And it sat in a tree over, kind of, we would have driven almost past it when we drove up here. It was one of the seagulls that had been released in the Isle of Wight. Ironically, the, the charity who, have, who, who organised that release programme and red kites and all the various things that have happened are based in Stamford. So it was almost like the seagull came home to have a chat, you know, a little pop in and see the, the person who started it all off. And it stopped in the tree for about four days. And it was in and around the same sort of time we found the seagull label. Um... And seagulls was thought to have been lost, as, a, as so many fruit trees are lost. But in t- working with a particular company called Burnwood, which is this incredible heritage um, nursery, they think they found it. Well, they thought they found it in Scotland. It's not in Scotland, but they think it's in another collection. So my personal, one of my personal little endeavours is, is to get that, tr- that tree back here and plant it where we found sea eagle. And then maybe the sea will come for another visit. <laughs> That's my best story. It's genuinely true. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a 252 metre south facing wall here. So one of the many ambitions for this project is to put a national collection of nectarines and peaches because there isn't one. And so many of these things are lost. Yeah. Um, and so to perhaps collect something, try and find them, save them. You know, so many fruit trees are disappearing, aren't they? Particularly yeah. stone fruit, I think. So this is a how, how big is this is one section of the wall garden we're standing in and how yeah. how big is this? So I would have said this is probably about an acre six, six and a half acres in the wall within the walls, uh, uh, so over six sections. Um, so there's, there there are about five. Yeah, this is probably a little bit smaller than a, an acre. Um, the main section in the middle, called the Great Garden in old maps, is. Um, uh, is the biggest space, which I would have said is probably about two and a half acres. So is this one of the biggest wall gardens? It's, it's definitely not, but there are some vast ones, some that covered um, 30-odd acres. The one at um, uh, Windsor Castle was huge in its day, and there's another one in Northampton, near Nottingham, which I forget the name of now, which was 30-plus acres. But a six and a, anything over three acres, is there wasn't that many. You know, there were... You know, six acres is a big wall garden, um, you know, of which there wouldn't be huge amounts of. But it certainly is a big, but it's, an, it's on an 11 acre space. So there's the, everything that's inside the walls, but it's surrounded by a ha-ha. That ha-ha was put in by Capability Brown when he came to Burley. Burley he came to Burley, spent 30 years at Burley, dramatically changing the landscape. It was either his second or first commission, and it's certainly his longest commission. And he stayed in that house, which was the head gardener's house. Oh, wonderful. Hence why he decided 
to put a wall, a ha-ha around the wall garden, which I think, I think is unique for a complete ha-ha. I know Holcomb's got a ha-ha around there, but I don't think it's completely. So it's little ha-ha wars between gardeners, you see, who's got the biggest ha-ha. So, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so, so there's, there's, there's another, there's, there's the same amount in as outside as there is inside the walls. And that was orchards and slips and definitely more growing houses on the, on the outside. So the whole thing is 11 and a half acres, which so, does make it a very big wall garden. So yeah. tell me about your vision for this walled garden going forward. Um, so what we're proposing is to put gardens back in here. We, even if we wanted to, we couldn't turn this back to where it was. And um, We need an army of people like he had and, a, and the purpose and, 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 you know, and a supermarket just on the edge there to sell it all to, although that wouldn't be the best way. But anyway, so our idea is to create a varied gardens in here, some of them telling the story of these gardens so one section will be a big Victorian kitchen gardener which is going to celebrate Richard uh, Gilbert it'll be you know the, the heyday of the wall garden the Victorian period and Richard Gilbert so it will be we will try to create a, 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 an experience so people are almost stepping back in time and um, Burley had a long period of growing cut flowers you know there's there's records of daily cut flowers coming from here going down to Covent Garden markets so one large section will celebrate that uh, there's a big area that's going to be centered around a tropical garden but it will loosely tell the story about pineapples and in Richard Gilbert's you know claim to produce a pineapple every day of the year um, there will be a very large borders there will be and then multiple gardens including a garden that people will end up going through as their last experience which we're loosely calling the looking forward garden which will all be about rainwater collection sustainability how as gardeners we can affect you know real change to the state of the world by the way in which we garden and then along it throughout as well there will be a, a mindfulness garden a plantsless garden a wildlife garden some very big borders and so it will be this hopefully this kind of celebration of horticulture but also a place for education um, a place for our, a new volunteer team we have 25 volunteers in the gardens now so uh, we'll it won't be difficult for me to build a very big volunteer team up here. So, so at the heart will be a garden, but its effect and its purpose will be far, you know, kind of like, you know, far more than just an, a nice garden to come and see. We'll run it completely organically. Uh, we, we're not organic completely in the gardens, but that's our aim. So it'll be run organically as sustainably as possible. So there's lots of sort of things that underpin the project. Um, when you stand here now, in, in your mind's eye, can you see it? Yeah, yeah. I've spent, I dread to think how many hours I've spent up here. And uh, we've done a, so I've done a full design for this. So we're kind of on the cusp of, it. it's all there, waiting for the funding, which will be extensive. And we have started, we've started doing small amounts. We started doing some planting of things like pleaching that will take time to establish. And so, but we're just kind of waiting um, to be given the green light really we are going to I think we're planning to start growing in the kitchen garden element and hopefully and we're going to grow cut flowers and produce this is my this is one of a plan I'm putting forward a business plan um, and that will supply the various restaurants at Burley plus a pub and a hotel that we do and a farm shop that's coming so I'm trying to get this whole thing gradually moving forward and that will fund itself you know fund the position that's needed for that so um, so that's our next phase and then we're just kind of waiting 
to kick this sleeping giant off really but it, the presence when you're standing here it's 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 amazing i'd love to calculate how many bricks made the walls and, and what do you think mr gilbert would think of those plans um i'd like to think no th- having read about him that he was very forward thinking and that he would embrace the project and realize that longer the days of the days have gone when places like this could afford to have 120 staff growing six and a half acres of vegetables you know that kind of ended after the first world war didn't it really the sort of the demise of the wall garden so i'd like to think he would well i'd like to think he'd be chuffed that we're going to try and celebrate his life um but i'd like to think he would he would he would embrace the fact that this you know we're, we're we want to you know bring this place back to life as for a long time it kind of gradually was being reclaimed by nature so yeah so hopefully maybe he's buried in Barnack I can go and perhaps you know find his grave and just like you know give him have a little chat tell him what we're doing see if I can find a sign <laughs> maybe so yeah I think hopefully he would um he, he would he would embrace that we're just trying to embrace where horticulture is going where did your passion for walled gardens come from do you think <clears throat> Uh, I'm kind of the third generation of gardeners in my family, so my grandfather was head gardener, his father for him, and I spent a lot of my summer holidays knocking around the wall garden at Eastern, um, East Hartfield, where he, his last position, and in the old glass houses, exploring those spaces. And so that's where definitely where I got my, um, my love of plants and gardening and my memories of him and his glass house and disbudding carnations in the carnation house and 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 i think just that just i i think that's where i probably that's that's certainly it's probably i would say it's in my blood um and and so i think that's where my walled garden obsession is but i have been obsessed well obsessed well i probably could say that i have i have felt uh i have felt a a a tangible connection to wall gardens for my whole of my adult life that i can think of I don't know what it is. It just they can, every time I walk into one, derelict or restored or in between, I kind of just feel like I've come home. I hope we will in time return to this walled garden. If you want to see it in its current state, head to the website where there are photographs of the fruit galleries, Mr Gilbert's office and the mushroom houses, along with the walled garden. I'm currently gathering plant stories for a second series of the podcast, so if you have one you'd like to share, you can email me at sally at ourplantstories.com. Our Plant Stories is an independent podcast presented and produced by me, Sally Flatman. And if you do buy me a coffee, my sincere thanks. Thanks.